0: Right, well, that's recording. So we yeah. get this sorted. Welcome to yeah. another edition of Ask or Ask Doctor, where me and Doctor Saito will be answering all the questions that you have thankfully presented to us over the past month or so. Um, first of all, uh, Doctor Sota, how have you been? What have you, what have you been working on? What have you been thinking about the past
1: month or so when it comes to? Well, you, well, you know, I've been uh, busy with my uh, home care company, yeah. uh, which is about to launch in a couple of weeks' time, Vitality Home Health. So, uh, yeah, I've been extremely busy with that. Busy as a GP, it's cold flu season, so everyone's coming in to get their flu jabs. Yes. Um, and yeah, just trying to uh, deal with uh, patients and trying to teach them how to. Um tackle with uh, medical uh, issues through lifestyle changes really. Nice, and if you could also share about, because I think it's really important to
0: talk about um, almost like your unique selling point or, or your uh, vision uh, going forward with your home care business because I think you're, ta- you're addressing it from a very different
1: angle as to what m- many other home care providers might. Yeah, well there isn't a home care company with a GP on board and the idea is for me to go in and really do a proper lifestyle consultation. So I want to go through all their medication. And I know for most people, especially 70, 80 year olds, half their medications are useless and causing more problems and actually causing admissions to hospital. Can you give an example of that? Well, there's there's plenty of tablets, like say, uh, tablets that people take to control their bladder. They don't really work for their bladder. They're still incontinent, but it lowers their blood pressure. So they're falling. Nobody's really checking their blood pressure. They don't really need to take that tablet. Right. And in fact, all they need to do in a lot of the cases, what I've asked patients to do is to eliminate caffeine mm-hmm. uh, and only, only kind of drink water for a week and, you know, their incontinence issues resolve. So simple, simple things like this. I just want to educate people about the tablets that they're on um, and I mean, maybe other GPs won't be that happy when, but I, I, they'll know exactly what they're taking, taking mm-hmm. the tablets for. And I think 50% of the medications can be stopped or reduced and that can help them immensely. Uh, and then obviously the other simple things I'm gonna ask patients to do is go back to basics. Uh, you know, no matter how old you are, you need to move, you need to get some sunshine, fresh air, we need to sort the sleep out, and we need to get you kind of mentally active rather than sitting all day watching television and uh, numbing the brain. And nice. So that's, that's the approach I'm gonna be using. That sounds positive. Yeah, now what I wanted to do, as you suggested, is actually
0: kick off with a slightly different angle. Um, you said that you're very happy to talk about mental health, so what I wanted to do is start off with a discussion um, as to why, th- at least, the reporting of mental health issues are higher, whether or not mental health issues are more prevalent or not, but at least the reporting seems to be increasing. Uh, the diagnosis seems to be uh, more popular now or, or, or more likely now. And I want to talk about this um, the retraction of antidepressants, so, uh, as doctors are starting to not prescribe antidepressants as easily, as far as I can read. So, so yeah, can read it's
1: kind of, the trend is reversing. Initially, um, I think a few years ago, the uh, Royal College of Psychiatry, they wanted everyone to be on antidepressants, everyone, uh, which is silly, really, you know, like, because a lot of patients would just... In a mild depression after a bereavement you don't put everyone on an antidepressant when you know someone close has passed away it's silly well we'd all be on antidepressants and they've got their you know their side effects so there's been huge numbers of people in this and also even teenagers being put on antidepressants and there were reports a number of years ago which it actually caused suicidal symptoms um you know putting teenagers on antidepressants and that, uh, so there's been lots and lots of problems but going back to kind of mental health issues, there is, it is huge. We, we do live in a stressful society. Uh, I think sleep is a major problem, which, uh, causes a lot of anxiety. I think there's a lack of social support, moral support. I think there is a breakdown of society where we don't really talk to each other. The, you know, in the old days, you used to have a cup of tea, uh, knock on the neighbor's door. And I think that used to solve a lot of issues really. And that was your, that was your free counseling, um, People don't have time to you know, talk to one another and I think there is lack of support and we've got all this social media and I think that's causing uh, issues like I've talked talk to before. But yeah, depression is on the rise, stress is on the rise, obviously drugs is on the rise as is our... Recreational. Alcohol, uh, recreational, everything else. So um, mental health is a big, big problem these days, uh, huge. Going, going
0: back to uh, something interesting that you that pointed on is that when mental health First, I was I'm just going to put this on Instagram Live. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that, if, at least initially, when it comes to mental health, uh, psychiatrists wanted to get everyone on antidepressants. Yeah. And it seems to me that and this is me coming from um, this is me coming from a manual therapy perspective. Yeah. But it seems to me that as soon as a new problem presents itself. Um, whether you're a surgeon, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a chiropractor or osteopath everyone wants to try and fix it mm. and everyone wants to be able to claim to fix it and do you feel like that is the same problem with mental health? The only reason why I ask is I can draw up correlations with for example um, knee arthroscopies for meniscus tears where as soon as, they, as soon as people start to warrant them or even low like back pain as being a problem you get spinal surgeons claiming to be able to fix it, chiropractors claim to be able to fix it, osteopaths claim to be able to fix it when really evidence has shown us that just moderate treatment and exercise is shown to have the most beneficial effect. So do you feel that people are sometimes a little bit too gung-ho? At
1: I think we're all gung-ho. It's just, I mean, if you go back to uh, your smartphones, as soon as the next smartphone comes out, everybody thinks their smartphone is just not working or it, you know we, they need to get the latest smartphone. So any new technology, any new drug that comes out, everybody you know jumps on the bandwagon mm. to use it. And then you've got all these drug companies pushing it. Um, and you know, advertising works because you know we have leaflets and usual you know on, on our GP magazines. You know, all these drugs have been advertised, and it does does work. Uh, so yeah, anything new that comes along, I think it's just human nature.
0: Right. Okay. You so know. we need to expect that people are going to rush to the market to try and produce a solution, and then we just have to have the responsibility to at least have a bit of self-awareness, a bit of critical
1: analysis to make sure that we're doing what's and supposed And we're the in a quick-fix society, aren't we? So mm-hmm. everything, uh, you know, because we're in a quick-fix society and there's something that promises to get rid of this and get rid of that, we instantly go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, really everything, you know, as you know, without anything, is patience and time. And going back to your old methods, really, um, that's what really works.
0: It seems that there, when we look at humans in a real kind of stereotypical natural environment, whether that's a hunter-gatherer environment, um, or whether that's an early development, like almost like an, a, a, a Civilization that's early in development. It seems like we as human beings have a lot of natural forms of Nutritional rehabilitation, or nutritional uh, medicine, natural rehabilitation, counseling, it's all there. And at the moment, it looks like you're saying that the intervention
1: should be a catalyst to that, not a replacement for. Yeah, it's, it's just, I mean, it's, it comes down to kind of kind of McDonald's type of society. Everyone comes in and GPs have got 10 minutes, and everyone complains about the lack of time. GPs feel pressured. Um, and it's just because there's lack okay. of time to spend with patients. So the, what the easiest option really for a GP is to print a prescription. Here's a drug. Okay. Patients quite happy. They receive a drug, but you know, a lot of the time, you know, the drug has side effects, doesn't work. And the problem is a lot of people that are put on drugs. It may work initially, but it should be a short term solution. So by the time, you know, after five, 10 years, senior your GP, you're probably 10, 15 meds, mm-hmm. uh, and most of them should have been stopped. Mm-hmm. really I mean that's they need to be reviewed and what in your opinion I was gonna I'll fix that in a second, in your, your opinion
0: what would if you could change three things about today's society to better the mental health of, let's start with young people the mm-hmm. mental health of young people uh, say
1: between the ages of 15 and 25 what would you do, what changes would you make? the changes, uh, hmm. it's, I mean I, I come from obviously a slightly uh, older generation, Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but, uh, I think for instance, I think lack of exercise. Uh, I think they don't, they don't exercise enough. Um, I mean, that's hugely important to mental health. Uh, and you, you generally find people who exercise regularly are mentally stronger. Yeah, uh, that would that would I definitely do and also the, the other thing is to try and there's a lot of sleep issues insomnia yeah. as a result of I think, you know iPhones smartphones all this kind of watching too much TV so Probably the most two important thing and then obviously the, the third thing for me would be diet I mean diet hugely influences mental health as well And I think if you're eating processed foods and you're not getting your nutrients I mean, you know for instance loads of people are lacking b12 vitamin b12 uh, and that causes low mood as well um, so really, it, it, for me, it would be exercise, it would be uh, looking at their sleep pattern, and eating uh, real food, non-processed foods. Nice. And, and what about when it comes to
0: um, the social aspect, would you change anything socially at all? You mentioned um, the fact that people don't have time
1: for each other. Yeah, socially I think we need to kind of support each other more. Uh, that's a real kind of difficult question. Um, we're in the age of technology now where uh, everything, everyone's supported by WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, thing, and the, the personal touch is lost you can't be sitting with, you know like like I said before having a cup of tea with one of your best friends and just having a, a chat but that's that's a difficult question you know how how do we reconnect with family members friends and things you know I know myself I've got you know some of my best friends I haven't seen this year and you know which 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 is wrong really it's difficult I do yeah. feel like it almost has to to be a general cultural shift
0: away from instant gratification away from the rat race and more going back towards what is really better for our mental health, our social connections. I think that value has a lot to do with it and I think that the more people value things, whether that's materialistically or whether that's status wise, if people valued social connections or mental health or physical health and to put a currency on it and that currency would be of higher value than their status or then into gratification, I think we would see a shift, but I don't know if that would
1: happen actually in the in It's the difficult, future. isn't it? Um, yeah. I mean, it, you kind of hit the point about rat race. I mean, We, we talk about it all the time, and I'm sure you've talked about it, I've talked about it with my friends, and you get these um, you know, high flyers in London or wherever where they quit the rat race. And they go and live on a farm and, you know, you you see episodes about them on TV Mm -hmm. and they do seem to have a better quality of life. It's reconnecting with nature and, you know, with friends and going back to basics. Um, It, you know, every, but it's important to talk about it because I think people need to be aware there are, there are ways to get, get, you know, to reconnect with your natural state. And for me, a big, big thing is nature. And, you know, I, I encourage a lot of people people to go into their back garden to do a bit of gardening and just just reconnect when they don't have to go to the nearest forest although um in i think in japan or they they, they call it forest bathing where right, they, right. yeah they send people into forests and it improves their mental health especially some sort of natural energy from the forest and things. Really? Yeah. It's not even
0: a case of being outside. It's literally, there's a difference between being outside or being in the forest. Forest. There is something about it. If you research it, it's called forest bathing. I'll have to uh, make my mum write on that then (laughs) because I've been calling her out that she's just full of rubbish. No. (laughs) 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 needs to be outside in nature. I'll have to tell her that you said that. (laughs) It's true. It's absolutely (laughs) true. I'll let her know. (laughs) Last one. Now, we've got a few questions here that we need to go over. So, um, Sarah has asked us, should we be weighing kids at schools? Now, I've got my opinion on this. I want to know what your opinion is. Oh, it's a
1: real tough one. I'm not... It's, we need to do something. But I think with kids, weighing them, that could cause a lot of mental health issues as well. So I'm, I'm probably not a fan of weighing them. I think, you know, no. I think it would probably cause more problems that, than it would solve. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a different way yeah. uh, to educate. Them. I think, well, yeah... I'm um, probably
0: not a fan. of we, we did a, when we were working with the gram, with Chris Frederick at the gram, we would, or Chris, I wouldn't, Chris would uh, on occasion weigh the children, but it was at, a, it was at a, a certain time every month or at a certain time every couple of months and it was done so by a, a qualified nutritionist who was educated in the most important part of nutrition, which I think which is behavioural psychology. The reason why I would be against weighing children is because weighing the children is—you're basically measuring the outcome and not the behaviour. And we there's a really good book by Carol Dweck called uh, Mindset, and it basically says that children who have the outcome measured, how fast they were in a race, what, uh, how many points they got in an exam, etc., etc., don't have as positive an outcome long term in comparison to children where the behaviour is quantified. So what I mean by that is um, children who have the outcome measured have a fixed mindset where they believe that no matter what they do they will always be that way. For example, you're obese, oh my god, I'm, a, I'm always going mm. to be obese. Mm. Um, And even rewarding the outcome doesn't necessarily have a a beneficial effect, but rewarding the behaviour, for example, you had five fruits today, that's a gold star. You got out and you exercised for an hour today, that's a gold star. That rewards behaviour and I think that if we were to go through a mass study of children where the behaviour was rewarded versus the outcome was rewarded, I think we'd see a much better outcome when it comes to the behavior.
1: I totally agree. I mean, I've, I've got three children and it's it's the same with them. You know, you try and, um, when you're trying to change any any sort of behavior, but if you're kind of criticizing them and like that it never works. And right. exactly what you just said there, I mean, I've got three girls and you know, when, like you said, when you focus on the positive behavior, that's this morning, I think my daughter had a, a really good healthy breakfast, mm. you know, rather than some of the crap cereals that, that she, she may eat. And I, you know, instantly I thought, I said, that was great, Katrina, yeah. what a really nice, healthy breakfast. Mm. I saw the smile on her face and that's encouraging it. Whereas other days where I get up and I, and I know she's, she's eating this cereal full of sugar. I look at it and I, you know, and I do probably criticize her and that doesn't work. I know, you know, although you still say, it, but yes, I totally agree with you. That, that's, that's a very valid point. So you're like, it's almost like hierarchy.
0: You reward the positive, that has a good effect. Uh, negatively reinforced negative has somewhat of an effect but one thing that we can definitely say is that measuring the outcome, for example if you have to weigh your daughter every month, mm, mm. that is, I don't think many parents would be comfortable it. their So Bex Pope has said something, young people must be able uh, to make the link between phone screens and insomnia etc to be able to... Yeah that's interesting, so Bex, Bex Pope is, is saying that uh, um, children or, or young people must be made aware between their smartphones and insomnia to be able to act on it, so
1: what Bex, I think, is actually saying is that they need more data. Well, they need to, it, well what she's saying is we need to raise awareness. They need to be educated. Yeah. They need to know about it. I mean, it, I mean, she's totally true. Um, you, you need uh, exposure to natural light. Yeah. And that sets your circadian rhythm, you know, yes, the melatonin. Yeah. And obviously, with uh, smartphones and things, it ruins uh, this natural circadian rhythm, where the melatonin is released, and uh, and it's vital that they they're, they're aware that is it will ultimately affect their sleep. And there's lots, of, there's actually a lot of studies coming out now that a lot of mental health issues, right, actually start with sleep disorder first. So the anxiety and the depression, well, that came secondary, and it was actually the sleep disorder really the primary cause of it not everything not all the time because obviously sometimes there is a there is something traumatic that's happened or there's other reasons for it but frequently I think you know what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to ask patients about their sleep mm-hmm. you you you'll always find people with mental health issues have sleep problems but now I think recently I'm trying to uh, understand maybe it's actually sleep that was the primary problem And that's why mentally they've suffered with anxiety and depression. I can definitely relate to that. I think that with everything
0: that we do at Revitalize, we try and improve people's tolerances. And what I mean by that is that if you've got an injury, how can you be more tolerant of the trauma that caused that injury? And I think in some work, from my understanding, that translates into mental health. If you are a human being and living in today's stressful environment, how can you become more tolerant of that stressful environment? One thing it definitely seems, especially for me, is that a lack of sleep really lowers my tolerance for whatever stressful experience yeah, I'm going through yeah, that day. Yeah, yeah. If I have had, if I've had, and this is the other thing, I don't think people really understand sleep debt. If you've accumulated five hours of sleep debt over the course of a week, you can't have a two hour lay in at the weekend and replenish that. Yeah. You have to get into the, the, the long term habit of being able to uh, attain the sleep that you need. And I definitely, I definitely realise that if I don't go, if I don't have enough sleep for a while, my mental tolerance
1: to stresses is yeah, whacked. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, whenever I have sleep issues, um, my control of appetite goes out the window. You know, you, get, you, know, more. you know, I just start mm-hmm. binge eating, um, and you know, my my level of stress just, you know, just dealing with day-to-day patients, it becomes very difficult for me. Mm-hmm. So sleeping, and obviously, I mean, I suffer with a condition called colitis as well, so when my stress levels go up with this sleep, you know, I have a flare-up of my colitis. Right. It's not fun. It's not no. fun <laughs> at all. Yeah. yeah. So sleep is crucial. It's yeah. vital for everything. Mm. Um, next
0: question. We've got a question by Jackbeer. Is, also, Bex also said, I only learned about it last year on a work course about mental well-being and she's 24. What well, on Bex? <laughs> um, we've got a uh, question from Jackbeer, is CBD oil good for pain
1: relief? <laughs> I've been asked that question uh, probably hundreds of times um, obviously it's all in the press uh, you, you know I'm hearing it from various people i mean from pain relief from epilepsy control to even cancer i mean from obviously not my patients uh, other people so obviously there, there's something about cannabis oil. Um, all I would say is I mean, as, as it is safe now because they've, they've removed the dangerous ingredient is just to try it and see if you're in intolerable pain or you have, you know, intolerable fits or epilepsy or whatever, it's worth trying because there aren't any other medications for that. Uh, right. and it seems to be safe. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd say go for it. They, and, and we'll f- probably in the next 12 months, two years, we'll find out how good this CBD oil really is. How do you feel about uh, anecdotal
0: findings coming first and the research coming later? So how do you feel about this wave of of, of people saying that it's really worked for them, and
1: then the, the the real kind of proper research coming later? I think anything natural it will always happen anecdotally. I mean, you know, for instance, turmeric. Um, and initially, it was you know a few people saying you know turmeric's very good as an anti-inflammatory agent. It's very good for my joints. And now they've done research into it. You know, anti, you know it's anti-dementia, anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory. turmeric you know, got wonderful benefits and it's been proven, uh, as have the benefits of, you know, like green, green tea is starting to, you know. So, th- you're going to get anecdotal reports with anything that's natural. Uh, where, where obviously, when it comes to drugs, there's going to be proper of trials and there'll be data and, you know, things like that. So, There'll always be anecdotal reports initially. I think it's,
0: it's, it's quite it's refreshing to hear that as well. We have a, a medical herbalist here who's been working wonders with a lot of our patients and for them it was the last stop on the line kind of thing before mm. they gave up. And her methodology is of that she'll look at populations around the world or she'll look for studies that have been conducted on populations of people around the world where they might have reported to have high levels of inflammation, mm. etc. and then uh, have medicated it with Turmeric, for example, Mm. and she assesses, or she looks at research that assesses the reaction of that over time. She chucks a lot of certain, um, chucks a lot of certain herbs that people claim to work out because they haven't done so when it comes to the research. But it seems, yeah. But she is really quite hardcore on research. But the problem is that the evidence base for a lot of these interventions. Doesn't come early on; it comes later. No, it'll
1: come later on, and also like with anything with a natural uh, drug, companies can't make money out of it because you got got patent it. You know, you can't patent it, so the the research won't be out there. There's no, there's not going to be these huge double-blind, randomized, controlled trials. So it's, it, that's that'll always be an issue. Um, so that you know, the best thing to do is to try it, see if it works for you. Uh, as long as it's safe, you know, go for it. I mean, in terms of kind of like herbs and supplements, you know, for. Being um, Asian, myself, I just use lots of turmeric, ginger, and garlic in in our curries and things. I'm trying to use it regularly, so you know, rather than take supplements, I'm trying to use a a lot. You know, I I like cooking myself, so I I put tons of ginger and turmeric, and I feel great even after my session boxing sessions. You do boxing, yeah, yeah. with Lenny. Oh, great show! Yeah, yeah, nice one. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. yeah. good stuff. Actually, I've seen your picture up on the wall. Have you? it's
0: it, one thing that's, that's interesting as well that you've said is and we've spoken about it before is this almost innate knowledge that humans have or, or, or almost a culture that's developed over a thousand of years where we we if we've got a scratch we'll itch it we've got an itch we'll scratch it um so you talk about garlic turmeric um and there was another one i think you, G- ginger ginger yeah, yeah. that have medicinal properties um that have made their way into caribbean cooking mm-hmm. indian cooking um, you've mentioned also once again the, like the natural effects or the natural counselling effect that you get from being part of a family. There's quite and even down to protein. There's a lot of um, populations, for example, Caribbean cooking. You cook rice and peas, which actually has a full amino profile, mm. um, and somehow they, they married them together. Mm. Rice and dal has a full amino pro so, profile. Mm. and Once again, somehow they're married together. So it's interesting to see how, how, how human beings almost have a yeah like a natural. Uh, or a way of finding that was good for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, so we've also got. So Bex Pope's got a question. I'm eating oranges like no tomorrow. How can I boost my body's collagen production?
1: I'm eating oranges like. Uh, how can I boost my body's collagen? Production? Yeah. Uh, I'm probably not an expert uh, on collagen production. I, pre- I wonder what it's for. Is it. For That's a- my question, but well. I don't know if Bex is still mm-hmm. online, but my, my question, which she literally just
0: posted this posted this in now. Um, uh, about collagen production, and that, that's my question is what it's for. Um, my understanding of collagen comes more from rehabilitation and the knowledge that collagen seems to respond to stress. So, if you give uh, an injured area uh, adequate stress, but I'd overstress it, collagen production seems to come up, seems to increase. Collagen's a, a um,
1: Stabilizing molecule, isn't it? It it's in within skin as well, isn't it? You you get all these creams with that collagen in. Do you think that
0: works? Can you?
1: I'm not a a beauty specialist. (laughs) 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 Likewise.
0: Vex, I'm not sure. Sorry. (laughs) She used to all learn. Um, Right, next question. Okay, what is scar tissue and how does it affect the body after recovery?
1: Well, the, I mean, the, I don't know if she's kind of, Bex is asking about the, 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 mo- the most horrible scar tissue is keloid yeah. where unfortunately you just, you get these kind of fibrous type, type of tissue after any incision and it's extremely, extremely difficult to get rid of. And I think, you know, dermatologists may put, inject steroids in there, but uh, even, I think even if you go to kind of a plastic surgeon that they, they will have uh, difficulty trying to remove the ke- you know, keloid scar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, otherwise kind of normal scar tissue is after any operation, you mm-hmm. know, you're going to get tissues that join together. They're going to bind, bind the tissues together. That's normal scar tissue. And over time, you know, depending on the surgical skill, uh, you shouldn't see a scar really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but keloid scar is horrible. It's, it's not nice, but, um, I think they're coming out with new treatments, but you'd need to kind of speak to these kind of plastic surgeons. I'm sure there's, uh, some new treatments probably coming out about keloid scars. Okay. Uh, and the next time I, uh, I get, you know, speak to a dermatologist, I'll ask him about keloid scars. Nice, thank you. When it comes to
0: rehabilitation perspective, um, scar tissue is just on contractile tissue, if you're rehabilitating a muscle. It has its benefits, it's like a, a callus for a muscle, so it will stabilize the area. The only problem is that um, it doesn't necessarily align in a uniform way. So it means that the area might be more predisposed to re-injury. So what we tend to do when it comes to rehabilitation of an area like a grade two tear uh, or a grade one, grade one tear of a, of a muscle, grade one strain, is that we load them progressively. So we'll load them isometrically, which is where the joint doesn't move. Then we'll load them concentrically when, and eccentrically, where you get some joint movement, and then after that we'll load them with uh, pilometrics, which are heavy eccentrics. And that tends to make the non-contractile tissue at least more functional, and it enables the muscle to compensate for that lack of contractile tissue. Uh, one question that we've had um, from patients over the years is, is this real kind of anti-medication uh, mindset where they don't want to take ibuprofen paracetamol and almost like a lack of trust. Um, so the, the question overall,
1: I've got my opinion for this, but the yeah. question overall is, should I be wary of the, the big pharma? You should be wary of big pharma. I, mean, I think, you know, pharma, there any, any, um, anything where a business is involved to make money, uh, there's always going to, you need to just look at the world, you know, there's always going to be uh, trial data that are suppressed. It's never, you're never going to hear the full story. Uh, I mean, over the years, a number of drugs that have come out, and they've had to be taken away from the market because of liver failure or this or, or that. And, you know, the, the research data has been hidden, and I'm sure there's plenty of other drugs. Um, you, know, there's, you know, I don't want to mention drugs because it, it might scare everybody a <laughs> what they're taking, but uh, I think drugs should be used, a short term, I think they're fine. If you've got, you know, with things like ibuprofen, I mean, if there's an acute inflammatory, really painful, say, for instance, gal and you need to control it, that, that, that's fine. I think with anything else, I mean, you probably know better with, with knees or anything, I think you have to. You should go down the kind of rice method, use compression, ice, and, and see whether you can overcome it, and use ginger, you know, turmeric naturally, because you are, when you're taking a, a drug, you are blocking a natural kind of enzyme pathway in the body. Yeah. Um, and whenever when you're blocking something, there's always going to be a result. You know, something else that's happening. And you know, I mean, the common side effect of uh, anti-inflammatory drugs are ibuprofen, um, stomach ulcers. If you you know you take them too long, hypertension. Mm-hmm. You know, it causes problems. It causes problems with colitis, with bowel problems. Any anyone's got bowel problems, it can it can trigger off bowel problems. So there's all sorts of like long-term problems associated with with them. Um, so if it can be done naturally, I'm always pro but sometimes you do need it, um, you know, say for instance, gal No,
0: I'd, I'd agree with that. i definitely agree with that. I think the, 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 defi- the thing I'd agree with is definitely that when there is a business involved to make money, you have to be wary. And I think that health professionals should really be the gatekeepers or the, protect- or the guardians of the patient when it comes to that. So one key trend I've noticed when it comes to when drugs can be administered really inappropriately is when you get reliance so whenever a health professional is saying that they're going to put you on a certain medication for the foreseeable future the reliance on that unless it is well justified I think is when alarm bells should start to go go off the equivalent of that in manual therapy is the high patient volume business structure which is where you might get for example a chiropractor who expects to see a patient every day for 6 days um, with 10 minute appointments charging them £40 a a pop and they expect to see them for the rest of their life to keep their spine healthy that for me is almost like the the manual therapy alternative of you're going to be on this until it gets better one thing I definitely differ, one way I definitely differ to other healthcare or whatever manual therapist is I'm definitely, definitely, definitely not against someone going for Ibuprofen or Paracetamol uh, or even stronger medication after they've injured themselves. The reason why is because it's very important in pain to separate the neurological from the physiological. So, for example, if someone is in pain for a long period of time whether it's like two three weeks and their, their nervous system is being bombarded with pain solidly for that amount of time, pain is going to be very hard to shift because their nervous system would have what we have called facilitated the process of creating pain as a defense mechanism. Therefore, if you can manage that pain very effectively, whether that is with rice or treatment uh, or some other general advice and pharmaceuticals early on, it can potentially uh, create a much better prognosis for that patient so that is where I would definitely um, not be against pharmaceutical intervention got a couple of questions here uh, on similar lines of thought what then are your thoughts on? Se- we've already answered that Dell you need to you need to get this on or you need to rewind this about CBD Dell CBD has been discussed It's an anecdotal currently however it's oh, there you go. nice one thank you Lou all right so <laughs> next question uh, should the public uh, start taking responsibility this is for me from me. So should the public start taking responsibility for longer waiting times at the doctors or at walking centres? And the reason why I ask this is it seems that a lot of people's health issues are being
1: predisposed by their own lifestyle decisions. Um, I, I I think so, I mean, I, I mean over the years the waiting lists are getting longer and longer um, and a, lo- a lot of diseases can be prevented um, and you can't keep on you know, sucking the NHS dry. Uh, I mean, there there are genuine people who, who are out there who need operations and things like that, and and they're having to wait a long long time. I mean, I understand how you know people's you know lifestyle choices are is difficult. Uh, you know, you, you've got people who you know, for instance, who are lorry drivers who spend hours and hours and don't do any exercise and have junk food, and they'll end up you know maybe uh, you know having a heart attack or stroke or whatever and there's certain things because you know we all have to earn money but there's there's so many things that we can do with we're, we're turning into a just a a sitting society you know we're not being active enough we're not eating uh right and we are creating so much disease uh and the, the nhs can only cope with so much uh and, and it's it's difficult because I definitely don't agree with privatisation. Um, you know, it's it's completely wrong. But you know, it's, it's the NHS is breaking. It's it's broken. Um, you know, you, you, you can you can just ask anyone who wants a knee replacement. They might be waiting a year, more than that. It's 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 ridiculous. So people do. If we want, if we want to uh, save the NHS, really, and in, and in for, for me, it's not even the NHS. It goes beyond the NHS. It's actually social care as well. You know, because social care is collapsing as well. All these uh, people with you know dementia who need even need looking after at the age of sixty. You know, earlier and earlier. And you're getting teenagers with type two diabetes who you've seen teenagers. Yeah, teenagers. That's becoming increasingly common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teenagers with type two diabetes and these teenagers with type two diabetes will get dementia earlier. Will have a heart attack earlier on. So there's. There's lots, lots, you know, of people that you need to, we need to take more responsibility for our own health Uh, and it is impact, it has impacted the NHS and social care. Social care is collapsing, NHS is collapsing and it's difficult, there's only so much money you can pump into these services.
0: Have you, have you noticed over the past, you know, say, how long have you been practicing for now? I've been a GP
1: here for twenty years.
0: Have you noticed over the past twenty years that people are becoming increasingly reliant on you?
1: Do you know it's a culture of more reliance? Oh, much life. more reliance. Really? Yeah, much uh, more reliance. What do you feel is causing that? I think it's just the you know like, what, like we were talking about the you know lack of support in society. Uh, you know the, because of the increase of mental health, depression, anxiety. We talked about you know this lack of kind of having a cup of tea with someone, just having it having a chat. I think so. The, the only option has been the GP, and that's why GPs, I think, are becoming more and more stressed, because that's the only port-a-call that people have, uh, and, you know, everyone goes there. Before, there were always other options, you know, okay. you know to kind of, for other people to help, but now it just seems that place is first, first yeah, place for, yeah, for everything, for mental health, for physical, for, for everything, really. Okay. On the
0: back, I'd be curious to know how many people miss a port how many years,
1: what's your... Um do you know what your percentage of no-shows is? Yeah, it's, it varies from month to month. It can range from 5 to 15%. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's quite a few people that do miss appointments. Uh, um, you know, you, you send them letters. You, you explain that, you know, other people can take their appointments. It's frustrating. But again, the only way to stop that really and it, is to charge them. If they miss appointments, we have to charge them. But, some, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult one. Mm-hmm.
0: Last couple of questions. What is the, we've actually touched on this last time, what is the general knowledge base of GPs outside of pharmaceutical intervention, i.e. nutrition?
1: There isn't, there, they don't have good nutritional knowledge. Uh, you know, med- medical schools uh, don't teach it. Uh, there is uh, There is a kind of shift, there are a group of GPs, uh, there's a uh, GP called Dr. David Unwin, and he's introduced a um royal college of general practitioners module uh, on a diet for diabetes so there's 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 a slow awareness of these kind of young professionals out there and that w- that doctors need to know about nutrition uh, and it seems a shame because the, the the most important thing is nutrition and exercise and the fact they you know that when patients come and see us we don't really analyze their diet uh, where a lot of disease starts and disease is you know it gets worse. It is quite sad, but nutrition does need to be taught in medical schools, and there are doctors making noises out there. Uh, how long it'll take before it's introduced to uh, education, I don't know. Of course, and you were mentioning, I mean, no,
0: there's a common theory, correct me if I'm wrong, that the reason why there might not be too much nutritional advice in medical school is because you can't charge for it. You can uh, well, yeah. I think you have got a customer. <laughs> so, over two seconds. Hello, you Hi. Hi. Oh yeah. I'm just a health place. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. What do you do there? Uh, so we have a variety of services. We've got um, we've got a pain clinic where we treat injuries. Okay. Got a mental health clinic. Yeah. Uh, fitness studio. Yeah. Where we help people to get fitter. And then, as well as that, uh, we've got our rejuvenation rejuvenation services. So that is sports massage and yeah, yoga. Those are our, our main pillars. Oh, Yeah. Do you do classes? Of course, yeah. We've got a Fight or flight Club. Uh, that is uh, our competitive weight loss class. Um, so you're more welcome. I'll give you a leaflet if you want. You can you can check us out, or if you want, just. I just. I have like an hour off at work. Yeah. And I. Twenty minutes left. <laughs> well, not now, but like. Yeah. Between one and two, do you do anything between one and two? Not for classes, for one and one we do. Okay, yeah. Alright, cool. Do you want to Can I take it with you? Yeah, a yeah, set this up? Oh, I, I did. You yeah. did. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. yeah, Amazing. Oh, cool, you did. Yeah, Yeah. You're yeah, <laughs> all, <right. laughs> all good. <Get> <laughs> <on>. <laughs> oh, <laughs> your voice will be on the, <laughs> on the podcast. Oh, amazing. <laughs> oh, because happening right now. Yeah, it's happening right now, yeah, you're ready. Oh. <laughs> <think> <laughs> This is. <laughs> have a chat over there. up to three, please. <laughs> take it easy. Like, thanks for popping in. Yeah, yeah. Take care. Take soon.
1: care. What is your name? Elliot. My name's
0: Elliot. Elliot. That's Last me. one. All right. So take it easy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no <have> worries. <laughs> yeah. So what we're we talking about? Um Yeah. So yeah. So the, the, there's a, there's a bit of a, a theory. is The reason why uh we don't have uh nutrition being taught in school uh, in medical school is because you can't charge for it. In the sense that you can't like you, can charge for a drug, but you can't charge for nutritional advice. Do you think that holds steady, or do you think it's just the just a natural thing that needs to change?
1: No, I think that, that doesn't. I think it's just a natural thing that that needs to change because it was it's been it's never been taught. Uh, for many, many years, because I think medicine's always been about, here, take a pill, or here, I'll I'll get my uh, incisor out and cut this out, either operating or drug. So I think traditionally it's always been like that. I mean, but I'm obviously going back hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I think the doctor was the herbalist and, you know, was the nutritionist. And it was through nutrition and herbs that we, we you know, we, we solve problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of, we need to get the nutrition uh, education back in medical schools, really. And like you said, it tends to be about,
0: what, a 17-year pipeline where we get research to actual application of... Yeah, it's going to be at least 17 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Um, so this is actually from Ellie. All right. <laughs> so um, do you feel that uh, doctors become uh, too reliant on scans? Um, without trusting their case history, or without trusting their
1: yeah, I think yeah, Ellie, you're probably right in the fact that I think the uh, the, the 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 listening skills have gone. Um, so you know, you know, over the years because the time gets. Uh, you know, we used to have a good proper 10 minute consultation. Now with computers and everything else, you've got to type your notes up, that gets going to, you know, down to seven minutes or whatever. And and the the easiest thing for a doctor to do is, right, I'll scan you, I'll x-ray you, I'll do do this and, you know, here I'll send you for a blood test. And um, I probably used it a couple of times to save on time as well. But really, actually, you know, listening and examining is probably... You know yeah, what you really need to do, but that will come with having more time. Yeah, that will come with having more time. Okay. You know, scans do help. Don't get me wrong. You know, at least you know uh, it can save time. Uh, you know, and, you know, especially with you know shoulder injuries. I usually send for kind of ultrasound scans of the shoulder. You know, you know, examination is good, but it's it's great to get an ultrasound done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but particularly with, I think, non kind of musculoskeletal uh, issues and other issues. You can't be listening uh, to a patient, um, and that's where really the diagnosis comes from. And that must help to direct the scan as well, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, you know, the scans are just, it's the, the wrong investigation's been done because the, the doctor really hasn't listened properly or not, or the communication's been poor. Uh, and it's something entirely different. You know, it's not shoulder pain, or it's not it's not tummy pain. It's some, it's something else, and Absolutely. really, you know, it could be maybe an emotional issue that's causing the, mm-hmm. the tummy pain you know, or, or whatever. We well, so we even see that a lot with injuries. For
0: example, we might have a patient who has pinned the needles in their right hand, has pain around this area, um, and it's kind of like telltale. So, if you were to not touch the patient, you would be very hard to. Distinguish that from nerve irritation to anything else. Yeah. But it's not until you do a neuro and when you do active resisted tests of the shoulder that you actually realise it's just referred pain or just referred symptoms from rotator cuff. Yeah, yeah. So we definitely we definitely see that here now. We find that the if we look hard enough, if we look well enough, then a lot of the time we find what's wrong. And it's yeah. very rarely that we have to send for a yeah. scan or refer for a scan. But saying that, we're mm-hmm. in a much different. We didn't with a much different kettle of fish in comparison to. Yeah. And you have a time. time to, yeah. a lot of time. Yeah. A lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ellie, is there any more questions you want to ask? No. You're all good. <laughs> no. Sorry, is there anything else that you wanted to say before we before we? End? No,
1: no, no. That's great. Thank you. Awesome.
0: No, thank you. Um, so what I want you guys to do, if you can write in with any questions that you've got, and then next month, when the next month comes around, then we'll address your questions in. Thank you so much for writing in your questions. I'll put this uh, up on Anchor. Uh, you'll be able to get it on Spotify as well. We'll have a few clips from the camera as well. But thank you so much for watching, and uh, we'll see you next time. Cheers. Thank you, awesome. Yeah. Nice All
1: Pleasure right, you thanks. Cheers. I need to look into this CBDR that everyone's asking <laughs> left, right, and centre. Yes. But it's difficult because obviously we don't prescribe it. I just have to kind of, you know, see what you tell patients to go and use it. Yeah. Um, but
0: for us, I mean, I've done a little bit of research. Mm. As far as I can tell, um, it, it's not a it's not psychoactive, right? So no, T, T, Th, THC is psychoactive, CBD yeah. is not psychoactive.